We're going to be back in our studies in the book of Proverbs. And we, all of the, the texts for eight services are found in this booklet, The Way of Wisdom. So if you've forgotten it or you're, you're just here for the first time tonight, just wave your hand and Ben, my able colleague, is going to come round and uh, hand round some of those. Is Horace here by any chance? Can you see him? Horace White. He's not here. Right. Okay. Um, just give me one moment. Okay. And I'll read through those proverbs that are found on the page headed speaking, which is actually page 11. So page 11, speaking. Let's hear the word of God. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Words bring life. Kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value the one who speaks what is right. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. And whoever has understanding is even-tempered. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. A person finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels, they go down to the inmost parts. Those who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet. A scoundrel plots evil, and on their lips it is like a scorching fire. With their mouths, the godless destroy their neighbors, but through knowledge, the righteous escape. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Above all, I'm sorry, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, in your Son, Jesus Christ, are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We pray now that you would enlighten our minds by your Holy Spirit and grant us that reverence and humility without which no one can understand your truth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, what we're doing on Sunday evenings at the moment is continuing our, our morning studies in Proverbs, but with one thing that we can do on Sunday evening that's a bit different. So hopefully a thing is going to come up on the screen now. We've had a few problems with our screen tonight, uh, which is an opportunity to text a question. So after we've had the, the sermon and we've sung again, we will have a, a 
time for question and response. So anything that comes up during the course of this message, please do um, take the opportunity. We can't promise to answer all questions. Last week it was really helpful and gave us some great things to think about uh, going forward. So there's the, the, uh, the number, and I guess it could be kept up at points during the, the um, service because we've got all the, the, the main sermon points in here. So don't, don't be shy. Text a question. You don't have to put your name on it. It can be anonymous. And uh, we'll hopefully help with that later. So here we are. Um, there's an old English saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never... You know, it's a load of rubbish. That, that is an absolute load of nonsense. It's a, it's a load of codswallop. Sti sticks and stones may, may break my bones, but names will never harm me. Names do harm me. Words do hurt me. They harm you. Other people's words have their definite capacity to cause harm, and so do my words, and so do yours. I remember as a young boy, quite a sensitive boy, crying in my room over something that someone had said to me. I was lying on my bed crying. My dad came into the room, sat down on the bed, gently asked what the matter was, and then he said, and this is probably 45 years ago, he said, well, Mike, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will always hurt me. Wise. Now, you may be one of those here who is blessed with a thick skin, but even if you have the emotional skin of a rhinoceros, I bet words do occasionally get to you. They must do. And positively, well-chosen words can change the course of someone's life for good. When I was uh, partway through a postgraduate certificate in education at the tender age of 22, I was partway through and I was teaching in a school which was populated by inner city kids from Nottingham. I was, uh, wasn't really in full control of some of the classes and I was getting worn out by it. I was discouraged, weary, and giving up and on my knees. And I was about to quit halfway through the, the, the course. And I've called my tutor. Uh, one evening, quite late actually, she was a, a lady in, her, in mature years called Pat Travis, Christian woman, and I just poured out my heart, I probably cried on the phone. And Pat Travis listened to me and then she said, well Mike, you can, you can give up, you can stop the course now if you want, but listen, just think about this, if you do, you'll always be thinking, oh, what if I'd, if I'd finished it? You'll always be thinking, maybe I'm just a quitter. And you know what? You can do it. You can get through this. Why don't you give it another go? And she was right. And those words changed that course of direction. Words are very powerful. Now, as we know already, the book of Proverbs deals with re real life, the complexity of our lives, the nitty-gritty of life. We've seen how Proverbs speaks to those areas of our lives that we don't have a rule book for. And as we said this morning, 98% of our lives are made up of small decisions that aren't black and white. And 87.6% of statistics are made up on the spot. You guys are, come on, wake up now. How do we live well? How do we think straight? How do we develop deep character? The answer is learn wisdom. And Proverbs has loads to say about words. This morning we thought all about listening. Tonight we're thinking about uh, speaking and words, and if you uh, have this excellent uh, resource, The Way of Wisdom, which is a, a proverb for every day of the year, and a page 
a reflection and a prayer, then you will find that these guys, Tim and Kathy Keller, actually have 27 days devoted to Proverbs about words. Have we got any more of these? We have got some more tonight. So eight pounds here at King's Center, going fast. So those who were present, eight pounds, the way of wisdom. 27 days on the, about words. We can spend weeks on this subject. I just want to give an introduction to our words tonight and give four quick points about speaking. So if you want to turn back to page 11, the power of words, words that bring life, words that bring death, and the source of words. Firstly, the power of words. And if there is only one thing that you remember this evening and one proverb to take away, it's this one. Proverbs 18, 21, it's our key text. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, your tongue is a very small organ. The average length of a human tongue from the oropharynx to the tip is 10 centimeters. It's just a little thing. The average weight of the human tongue from a, for a male is 70 grams, and for a female is 60 grams. Such a small thing. And yet, what damage it can cause. The Apostle James in the New Testament comments on the tongue's great power. He says, we put, when we put a bit into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Though they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're powered, steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself is set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by humankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. I think James was probably quite an intense person. You know, he's the Lord's little brother. And he just nails it there. Wow, the tongue is so powerful. Words are so powerful. Proverbs says your tongue can, has the power of life and death. Why is the tongue so powerful? Two reasons. Penetration and propagation. Firstly, penetration. What is done to you doesn't compare to what is done in you. Things that are done in you, in your inner self, to you personally, uh, can be done for good or ill. And clumsy words can pierce and wound a person in the deepest place. Clumsy words can really hurt them. A whisper of gossip can poison our attitude to another person. Our self-esteem may actually be ruined by harsh criticism, which strips our confidence away. Our pride may be inflated by false flattery. And our beliefs and our convictions are formed by words. Words penetrate. And also they propagate. Words don't just go down deep, they also go wide. Far and wide. Proverbs warns that a scoundrel's speech is like a scorching fire. It burns. A perverse person can stir up a conflict. Words pass from one person to another. 
Do you know how many people it takes to split a church? Not half the congregation, just two. One to start spreading the negativity and the other to listen and pass it on. Now our generation also faces a new level of danger here because the power of our words is amplified for good and ill by the power and speed of electronic communication. You know, we can produce more words and send words faster and further than anyone else in history could. But along with that, our culture is becoming less and less reflective on what we're saying. Maybe because we haven't got time to reflect because there's so, much, so many words coming. And it is time for a course correction. The tongue has the power of life and death. That's big power you've got. You've got every one of you here has got power uh, in your tongue. So let's think about words that bring life. What a wonderful thing. Your words, friends, can refresh someone, can build them up, can make them strong, can cheer them, can make them holier, can train them, can heal. Here are five marks of life-giving words from Proverbs. They're all in the book. Words that are, that are honest, calm, apt, kind, and few. Firstly, words that are honest. Chapter 16, verse 13. Kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value the one who speaks what is right. Now you think about kings and rulers in the ancient world or even today. They can afford to buy almost anything. They can have whatever their heart desires. They can build the most wonderful palaces and buy land and, 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 and have everything they want. But there's one thing they need that money can't buy, and that is honesty. You can't buy an honest person. And that's why people in power have often ended up listening to Christians, even when the powerful person isn't a believer. Because powerful people need to be surrounded by integrity. But integrity is very hard to come by. Honesty is of great value. Kings take pleasure in it. But what exactly is honesty? Now obviously, at one level, it's just speaking the truth. Speech that corresponds to reality, that doesn't shade the truth, or twist the truth, or manipulate the truth. But if we're going to have truly honest speech, we need to go a bit deeper than that. We shouldn't just consider the factual accuracy of a statement, but what the statement is intended to do in the other person. So you can say something that is technically true, but it actually misleads someone. And that is actually a deeper level of dishonesty. So it's not enough for us to give factually true statements and then reassure ourselves, I didn't tell a lie. The real issue is, did you deceive the person? Did you take them in? Did you spin a little or exaggerate or shade the truth? So let me ask, where are you tempted to misrepresent a situation or, or a person? It could be when you're at work or in a friendship group and community, places that we're under pressure to deceive at times. And people might justify it by saying, well, everyone does it. It's not that big a deal. But words that bring life must be honest. An honest answer, here's the positive way of looking at it, is, is like a kiss on the lips. Isn't that lovely? 
Honest words are like a kiss on the lips. I can still remember the first time I kissed my wife-to-be. It was near Kingston University car park. Not the most romantic location, but it was an unforgettable experience. It was raining. Do you remember? She does. It was raining, but I felt like I was surrounded by a glowing aura that was keeping the rain off me. I actually felt I wasn't even walking on the puddles. I was floating about six inches off the ground. Kiss on the lips. Why is it so powerful? Because a kiss is intimate. It's a very physically accepting, warm gesture that says, I love you and I accept you. That's why Judas' kiss of Jesus was so treacherous. And Jesus knew it. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. An honest answer is is actually like an act of love, done with love. And lying is a betrayal. We had a great friend up in Manchester who was not a a Christian woman, but a, a wonderful friend to Melissa and me. And we were talking about Proverbs, and I read some of the Proverbs to her, and she said, wow, that's like a punch in the face. Direct. See, Proverbs is great for starting conversations with people. But if our words are going to be honest and not feel like a punch in the face, we need to think about a few more considerations. And the second thing we learn in Proverbs is that words are calm. Good words are calm. Chapter 17, verse 27. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. And whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Now, how do we use words with restraint? It will depend a large measure on what's going on inside us. And what's going on inside us is a mixture of our our thoughts, our emotions, and actually our body. We're not often that aware of what's happening in our bodies, but it affects how we feel and therefore how we're acting in a moment. And when we're hot-tempered, we become impatient, we become impulsive, and we insist on speaking our mind right away before we've thought much about it, and we're not calm. And therefore, we fail to listen properly Uh, We're too busy generating our own words, and they're a bit too hot. And we then regret it later, don't we? But a person who has control over their spirit, it says, is even-tempered. They manage to be calm and patient, even if they don't feel it. Now, there are so many benefits to staying calm in speech. It gives people time to be heard and get a fair understanding of what they want to say. It allows time for tempers to cool down. And actually, staying calm is really powerful. Look at the next two proverbs. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A a teacher in a senior school told me how she was known for being very forceful with her words in class. She would be aggressive. She's a quick speaker, quick-thinking woman. And she said, I used to be harsh, but I've found that... I've modified that, and I'm deliberately gentle, I'm deliberately calm, and it is much, much more effective. A gentle answer actually turns away someone's anger. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. An amazing image there of something that's so light and, and, and thoughtful, but actually has great power and influence even on a ruler. So words, they should be honest and calm to bring life. But not only do they need to be that, they should be well chosen. Suited to the occasion. Suited to the individual person that we're speaking to. 
the right word for the right time. Appropriate. And the, in a word, they should be apt. Apt. Derek Kidner, great Old Testament scholar, wrote, a truth that makes no impression as a generalization may be indelibly fixed in the mind when it is matched to the occasion and shaped to its task. So a truth that, that is, is true, but it's kind of a general statement, might make no impact on anyone. But when you match it to the occasion and shape it to the mark, it can make great impact. To have such wise speech. Some years ago, Melissa and I were concerned, really concerned actually, about one of our children who was coming under the influence of some peers at school. And uh, these peers were, were, were having a bad influence on them and starting to shape this child's life and behavior. And we just felt we're losing control here. We, we can't be too heavy because we'll push them away. We can't do nothing because we feel that uh, things aren't going well. We, uh, we were afraid of being too controlling. Um, so we sought counsel from my dad. And uh, he listened to our story for, I don't know, half an hour. And then he said one, one sentence, which was this. Sometimes they have to go through it in order to see through it. That's exactly right. That child just needed to go through that in order to see through it. And in the end, he did see through it. Apt words, well chosen for the right people at the right time. And they have great impact because they're right for that person in that context at that moment, here's the uh, proverb. A person finds joy in giving an apt reply and how good is a timely word. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. Uh, you can actually find joy in giving an apt reply, but you can only do it if you've thought carefully about it. And it is a good thing that gives life to somebody else. I think we can only find such words if we're people who are listening well, who are controlling our own hearts, who are focused on the other person, not on ourselves, who are fully present, slowing down, praying before we speak. Apt words can have such impact. And fourthly, apt words will be shaped by kindness. Kindness over the page. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Isn't that a lovely proverb? It reminds us again of the penetrating power of words. You can heal with your words. Just by the things you say or write, you can cheer another person's heart. And the contrast here is with anxiety that weighs it down. Anxiety, that wearing burden of the soul that so many of us carry all day long. And some of our anxiety is um, things that we, we should have left with the Lord. Do not be anxious about anything, says the apostle, but in everything, by prayer and petition, bring your requests to God. But the same guy that wrote that also said in another place, I face every day my anxiety for all the churches. They're all carrying anxiety. Who among us here is never anxious? And it weighs down the heart. But the thing here that can, can cheer it is the kind word. A word that is thoughtful for that person. Pleasant. 
sweet, genuine. Paul says that all our words must benefit those who listen according to their needs. And that's especially true if you have something hard to say to someone. Do it for their needs. So let's, let's learn how to test our words before we say them and slow down. We need to learn discipline in the way we communicate, especially when the heat is on. Whenever you're going to speak to someone in some significant way, ask yourself, what is the goal of this message that I'm about to send? Why am I saying this? What am I trying to achieve? And it is crucial to do this, especially if you have to confront someone. Why are you saying it? There is an enormous difference between, on the one hand, a ministry mindset and on the, on the other hand, a self-mindset, a ministry mindset. Ministry means service. Ministry mindset is I want the person to grow. I want them to know about the impact of their conduct. I'm not trying to pay them back. I want to help them. And I also want to check on my perception because I could be off. That's ministry mindset. But the self-mindset is I want to prove I'm right. I want to pay them back. I want to make them feel some heat, and I want them to back off. Here's two entirely different mindsets for the way we could approach a conversation. And, and hard conversations, criticisms that are made with the former motive, the, mind, the, the ministry mindset, might be painful, but they will lead to growth in the other person. But criticisms done with the latter will only produce hurt and damage and generate more heat than light. What is your motive in the way you speak? Our words have great power. Words that give life are honest, calm, apt, and kind. And they are also few. Few. This is one of my favorite proverbs. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. I remember being in a, a, a small group once, a Bible study group in someone's house, and we read this proverb, and a man who was really very quiet spoke up and he said, I've lived for a long time on that one. <laughs> Even a fool will be thought wise if he holds his tongue. Now that's quite an ironic statement, isn't it? But what he's saying is, wise people don't just shoot their mouth off and generate lots of words. They're careful and measured. There's an old English saying, least said, soonest mended. There's quite a lot of wisdom in that, especially in our time of oversharing. The less said, sometimes, the less ammunition for people who wish you ill. Or the less reason someone has to misunderstand you. Being careful in what you say can save a friendship. Whoever derides their friend has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. And then here is chapter 10, verse 19, is this, uh, the point. Sin is not ended but by multiplying words but the prudent hold their tongues. So when words run away with us, when they start to multiply, they often lead us into folly and lead us into trouble and maybe even reflect some arrogance on our part. But we learn to hold our tongue, it will do good. The tongue has the power of life and death and I hope you can see there how the words bring life. A wonderful gift, but then this, this gift has a shadow side, which is that words can bring death. That's point three, words can bring death. Vince Foster was a deputy White House counsel in the Bill Clinton administration. In July 93, he was found dead in a park in Virginia outside Washington, D.C. 
His death was ruled suicide by five official investigations. And they found in his briefcase the draft of a resignation letter that had been torn into pieces. But they put it back together and found the story of a man who had been torn apart by lies. The letter begins with these words. I made mistakes from ignorance, inexperience, and overwork. And it ended with this final sentence. I was not meant for the job or the spotlight of public life in Washington. Here, ruining people is considered sport. Ruining people. How? With words. Words killed Vince Foster a long time before the bullet went through his brain. Here are five sobering proverbs that reveal how our words bring death to other people and to ourselves. Are you ready? 12 verse 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The image here is of a sword. I wonder if you've ever held a real sword. They're quite weighty. And you can immediately feel the potential for harm, the damage you could do with the sword, even unintentionally. And the cruel and clumsy thrusts of reckless words wound a person and lacerate them. And who can endure a wounded spirit? Reckless words. Some children endure years of nitpicking and criticism from a parent and it wounds their spirit. And it takes people years and years to recover from such things. A brilliant friend of mine, one of the most, probably the most intelligent person I know, uh, got back from his, uh, finding out his A-level results. He had three A stars, uh, sorry, four A stars, and what in those days was called an S-level. He had three of those. Two of them were grade one and one was grade two. It was about as good as you could get. And he read his results out to his father, and his father said one thing, what happened to the grade two? What does that do to another person's spirit? Have you seen this wounding power of words in your own life? Where are you guilty of it yourself? Let's not let our words pierce like swords. Secondly, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. And the image here is not a sword. It's uh, an image that we all love. The image of food, a choice morsel, a tasty treat. I've been to a barbecue this afternoon, which was full of choice morsels. I could hardly do up my trousers this evening to come to church. Tasty treats. They go down to the inmost parts. What is that bit of food that you just can't resist? Are you a person with a sweet tooth? You know, you just love that exquisite bit of chocolate. A choice morsel. They enjoy the taste. Maybe you're a, a meat lover and you just love a good steak, a juicy steak. Or a curry. You enjoy the taste. It's so good and it goes down to the inmost parts. Now this is what it says gossip is like. And what that implies is that we actually quite like the taste of gossip. <laughs> So let's be honest, at some level we, we all enjoy a bit of gossip and that's why it's so popular. Now gossip is an interesting thing because it makes the speaker look good, bless you, and it makes the subject look bad, whoever the person's being gossiped about. 
And what's at play in that is a power dynamic. If we are listening in on that, we have this extra bit of pleasure that we are not the one gossiping, right? We're just there kind of listening in. Uh, but we're spying on someone else's failure or misery, and we're doing it vicariously. It says here that those words of the gossip go down to the inmost parts. That's going down to the center of who you are, and that has a shaping power. Now, here's the thing. The, the things that a gossip is saying might be true, but the purpose of them is to undermine the subject. And, you know, there's a world of difference between gossip and a fair, discerning account of something that has to be shared. There is a difference because of the purpose of what's being said. Gossip is all about undermining another person. And the difference between those two is wisdom. I can't give you the rule book. That's the whole point of Proverbs. So are you able to smell gossip when it comes your way? Are you able to spot it? Where are you tempted to engage in it? This week, I'm not asking whether you're tempted, I'm asking where. Because I assume we're all tempted to indulge in gossip. And yet, look at it. Brings death. Thirdly, those who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet. An interesting phrase, flattery. These are words, they're not gossip being said about someone else. Flattery is spoken right to their face probably with a smiling face and a warm tone. I'm so appreciative of you. Or writing to someone that's full of praise. And on the surface, what could possibly be wrong with that? After all, aren't we supposed to be you know, bringing words of life and encouragement? But the problem here, according to Proverbs, is that when you flatter somebody, you're spreading a net for their feet. They're going to be tripped up by it, caught in it, trapped. Why is that? Because flattery is false inflation. It is designed to appeal to the other person's ego. And why do we do it? Because we're going to gain from it in some way. So there is, again, a world of difference between flattering somebody and a genuine encouragement. If you flatter someone, you can often gain influence over them. You can make sure you retain their friendship or affection. You can secure them. Because we all like to be told how great we are. Flattery is actually a way of managing people. I've heard people say and write things that I know to be untrue. And I know that they know it's untrue, but they're doing it to puff up another person's ego. And it's a net for their feet because it gives them an unreal picture of who they are. And then they're not prepared for reality. It's entrapment by flattery. We mustn't flatter our neighbors. Fourthly, a scoundrel plots evil and... On their lips, it is a scorching fire. We already thought about this. False, flattering words, gossip words, criticisms can spread like wildfire. So such words must be checked at the source. And then fifthly, with their words, the, 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 sorry, with their mouths, the gossip, the godless destroy their neighbors, but through knowledge, the righteous escape. We can destroy those who are close to us through our words. And the word neighbor here in the Old Testament, is, can also be translated friend. Because it basically means someone who's near to you, close. You know, we think of neighbor as the people who live on either side. A neighbor is anyone that's close to you. 
love your neighbor as yourself. So we have the power to destroy our neighbors through our words. So as we think about words, let's, let's bear in mind this power to destroy. And let's think about our speech, but also about our, our written words. It has never been so easy to send written words to someone. And once they've been sent, they cannot be recalled. They will land. They will have an impact. Could your words destroy a friend? We can send words by email, by text message, by WhatsApp message, by Facebook, by Snapchat, Instagram, and goodness knows what else forms of social media. There's words flying around all the time. And most of those words will be seen by an audience. In my previous church, we discussed in our leadership team about how we could manage our communication because the emails were getting out of control. And we decided that we would not discuss an issue by email, confront a person by email, or complain by email. We would always aim to speak to a person face-to-face if possible. And it's remarkable how different your tone is when you're looking someone in the eye. So let me ask, what is your personal protocol with your words written? Emails or texts? I resolved some years ago after I was challenged by a colleague never to send an email uh, in anger or never to send an email that was critical of someone. I also resolved if I was ever in doubt about something that I'd written, I would sleep on it and then ask a calm person to check it before I sent it. Because once sent, the damage is done. Words bring life, they can bring death. So finally, words, the source of words. We thought about how powerful words are. And the Bible, of course, recognizes this right at the start. And in, at the level of grand theology, the Bible teaches that the universe was spoken into being by word. God says, in the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was. So our God is a speaking God who never lies, and his words have creative power, and the only Creatures that he's given the power of speech to are human beings who are made in his image. So our words are a very, very precious gift and very powerful. And when God made himself known to us by coming into our world and joining himself with our humanity, he was described as the word made flesh. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, is the word of God, the living word. Now, Proverbs isn't just a matter of some life hacks that will help us to make life go more smoothly. Proverbs is trying to get us to grow and be wise people. And that is fundamentally a matter of the heart. The heart is the center of who you are. The heart is the, the control center. It's, your, it's the real you. And Proverbs wants us to get a wise heart. So here on the, the last page, the heart of the righteous weighs its answers but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Weigh your answers. Your words are significant. Weigh them. This word I'm going to say, how heavy is it to that person? Is it the right way to say it? What impact will it have on her or him? And how loud will my voice be to them? See, we don't know what our voice comes across like, some of us. If you're older or more senior or more experienced or have a position of power, your voice is much louder than you realize. And so if you speak to someone 
junior, younger, less experienced, or a quiet personality, your words may have great weight that you didn't intend. How loud will my voice be? The heart of the righteous weighs its answers. So above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Let's take great care about our words. Amen. Let's pray. Question and response. We actually only have one question texted in. Um, so I'll, I'll have, a, have a crack at this. And, and it's actually very thoughtful. It's made me think a lot actually reading this question. So here it is. Thinking before we speak is great theoretically but often something we reflect on after we've spoken wrongly. Don't, isn't that right? I don't know who wrote this. It's 100%. How do we practically make sure that we think before we speak? What a great question. So a couple of thoughts from this. And the first one is, is sort of a sidebar. Um, but I think it's an important thing to say, and I think it's actually an important thing to say in the context of King's Church, um, which is this. You don't have to be perfect. <laughs> um, I've been reading a book over the summer about the life of a Christian leader called Jack Miller. It was American C. John Miller, known as Jack. And one of the things about Jack Miller that he learned very deeply in, in midlife was that... Um, uh, repentance and turning from sin is a daily thing not something you just do when you become a Christian it is the whole of life and he was liberated by that to become a person who very freely confessed his sins to others very freely in fact other people were sometimes really quite uncomfortable being around Jack Miller because he was quick to, to confess and say sorry I did wrong and I think that's godliness. We sometimes think that we're only godly if we're actually perfect. But we're not. So we always have this sense of walking around guilty because I'm not perfect. That's actually a really bad burden to bear and I don't think the scripture demands it. And the gospel is that you are more wicked and sinful than you ever realized and more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you dared to dream. So by becoming a Christian and being born and given the new birth, indwelt by the Spirit, you don't suddenly overnight become this perfect person. And what we do, unfortunately, I think a lot of us, is to put the burden of law on ourselves but without the freedom of grace. So the first response I'd give to the person who asked the question, um, yeah, that's right, we do. We always do it. We often do this. We reflect on things afterwards and think, oh, I wish I'd done that differently. And that's okay. And I'm sorry if my sermon gave you the impression that you have to be perfect. Um, I might have done that by, by mistake. But Proverbs would also say we can grow in maturity and wisdom in our speech. So let me give, come to the second thought. Um, how do we practically make sure that we think before we speak? And here I'm going to refer to a great friend of mine, uh, David Field, who is uh, really a remarkable human being. He's been in his, his life a, a, an academic, a pastor, a headhunter, and now a counselor. 
So he's a man of, he's a Renaissance man, a man of many talents, and he, he advocates very strongly for a, a kind of Christian counseling that is essentially tailor-made discipleship. And he would say, the way we, we grow up as Christians is to slow down, to stop rushing, just slow down, become bodily aware, aware of what's going on inside our bodies, to be fully present, not head spinning around and thinking about a dozen different things, to be aware and, f- and actually fixed on our feelings so we know what's going on inside us, and then to be authentic. Five things. Let me say them again if I can remember them. Slowing down, being aware of your body, being fully present with the person, aware of your feelings, and authentic. Now, if you can practice being like that with your own personality, I think the question gets answered. We can think before we speak more, if we're slowing down, aware of our own body and feelings, present with the person, and authentic and real. There's an answer. And he's going to pray.